Talking History. This is News Talk. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. And out of that silence came thousands of voices. The strategy of the white man has always been divide and conquer. As one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Aukteroin, Argus, Akoiza. Good evening and welcome. We're talking history on News Talk 106 to 108 with me, Patrick Gagan. In tonight's show, we're telling the history of the GAA through its people, objects, and stories, inspired by a wonderful new multimedia exhibition in the National Museum of Ireland. Last week, we looked at the life and legends of King David, and we debated whether he was a wise and courageous leader or a murderous tyrant. And if you want to listen back to this or to any of our older shows, just go to the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud, our website, newstalk.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The Gaelic Athletic Association is a huge part of the Irish consciousness and plays an influential role in Irish society that extends far beyond the sports. In popular imagination and experience, the GAA is often evoked in terms of its objects, medals passed down from generation to generation, jerseys worn in All-Ireland finals, Michael Cusack's blackthorn stick, a pair of glasses damaged during the events of Bloody Sunday, and a wonderful new multimedia exhibition taking place in the National Museum of Ireland and running until next Next year offers a unique perspective on the GAA's influence, delving into social history, design and popular culture. And it's inspired by Siobhan Doyle's wonderful book, A History of the GAA in 100 Objects. And to tell the story of the GAA through these objects, I'm delighted to welcome our panel of experts. Lynn Scarf is the director of the National Museum of Ireland. Dr Siobhan Doyle is the creator of the exhibition GAA People, Objects and Stories. And Clodagh Doyle is the keeper of the Irish Folklife Division and is based in Turlock Park in County Mayo. Well, you're all very welcome. And Lynn, I might begin with you and very, you're very welcome back to the show. Can you tell us about this exhibition and what it means? Yeah, so um, it's a really interesting one, Patrick, in many ways because it 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 reflects where the museum is now and where we want to go in terms of the kinds of exhibitions that we're producing. And, and what I mean by that is it's an exhibition that explores that idea of collective memory. And, and people are going to be looking at objects that are quite contemporary as well as what we might deem as being more historic, right? And I think that that idea of collective memory and the role of the National Museum in giving people the space to explore that, what it means for Irish identity, what it means in terms of the Irish diaspora and, and thinking about the, those stories is, is really important and giving people the space to explore that. So in many ways, I think sometimes people think of museums as being places that don't necessarily hold the everyday objects. Um, and what's exciting about this is that it has things like Brian Cody's cap, which is an everyday object, but actually has a huge resonance for people as an object. You know, I mean, Siobhan, who's, who's our curator, will talk about it in a moment, but she always says like, you know, if for her it was like, I think, did you say, Siobhan, that you saw the cap going on, you knew it was like a certain time of the year and you were sick of looking at the back of it kind of thing. So that idea that these objects, you know, resonate with us, that they have meaning for us in our everyday life. And that's a really important part for a national museum to be doing, to be telling those stories. And then in many ways, it links in with our folk life division. I mean, Cloda is really eloquent in talking about 
the importance of that collection in reflecting our everyday. And we've done a lot of work as a team within the museum in thinking about, well, how, how do we acquire objects that reflect our daily lives? And how do we collect those stories and make sure that in generations to come, you know, we're not just talking about the big historic moments, but we're talking about our everyday lived experience. Now, I do want to talk to you more about that everyday lived experience. But Siobhan, I have a quick question, though, about the Brian Cody cap. How many caps did he wear? Like, did he have a different one every year? Uh, Was it difficult persuading him to give up this cap? Did it not have sentimental value for him? Well, I approached Brian Cody before he retired as Kilkenny uh, senior hurling manager. So he had plenty of them on the go. He couldn't even determine when he wore the cap that we have in the exhibition. And I suppose that reflects the everydayness of it as well. You know, he didn't label it. This is the one I wore when we won because he won so many. Um, But I suppose part of our role in the museum as well is to collect in the present for the future. And I suppose the cap is emblematic of that. Um, I approached Brian Cody when I was writing the book and uh, he handed over his cap to be photographed and uh, he eventually donated it to the museum. And when I spoke to him, I'm from Wexford, um, so we'd have a huge rivalry with Kilkenny. And uh, I had this idea of Brian Cody being you know, contrary and that, you know, he'd be he'd be rude and shouting at me. But he was a lovely, kind man. And I was absolutely raging because now I have to go tell, tell everyone that he's lovely and he's not this, you know, looming presence and that, that we're seeing on the sidelines. Um, but throughout his whole career as Kilkenny Senior Hurling Manager, he, w- he always had his baseball cap on. In fact, the only times he'd take it off would be during the national anthems. Um, and... In the winter, he'd swap it for a woolly cap. So as Lynn alluded to earlier, when he swapped the woolly cap for the baseball cap, you knew you knew summer was on the way. Um, but when I was talking to him about him wearing the cap, he didn't have a whole lot to say about it. He's just like, it is. I just wore it. It's the same as the players wearing their helmets. I wear my cap. I suppose it's a comfort thing as well. Um, and that became an iconic part of his sideline attire. And we're delighted to be able to display it in the museum in this way. And it's a brilliant way of telling the story and evoking the memories because you could have had one of the, the Kilkenny All-Ireland you know, winning medals. But, you know, you look at that and you could have the year, but, you know, it doesn't take you back in time. You're not seeing it in your eye, you know, him on the sidelines or whatever. That This is a way of, of telling... Uh, it's it's, it's a whole series of pictures that and memories that it's evoking. Yeah, totally. And I mean, if you saw like a shadow of, you know, in a GA context, context if you saw a shadow of some wearing a base, someone wearing a baseball cap, you would, most times than not, you'd think of Cody. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have this iconic, to me, it's a very imp- iconic part of recent um, GA memory and, and folklore and uh, we're, um, we're we're thrilled to have the, the cap in our folk life collection now. So Lynn, why is the GA such a good you know, way of exploring the everyday. You know, you could have done this exhibition in a in a in a million different ways, but that there is something about using the GA and doing it through the GA that it's that you're telling different types of stories and you're connecting with people in the everyday in, I think, very powerful ways. Yeah, I think 
I think everyone would recognise how connected to community GAA is. And I think the other thing that's interesting from the museum's perspective is to watch actually how the GAA has changed as well over the last, I think they're at 140 in two years' time, and how they've changed over their um, existence. And I think that offers an opportunity as well through the exhibition to explore how we've changed as a country over that time, reflected through the things that have happened in the GAA. And it becomes less about, you know, big referendums and, you know, those kind of um, what we might think of big anchor historic moments. And it becomes more about the gradual change that happens in 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 our daily lives as as countries progress and 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 circumstances change reflected through being out playing for your local team you know at the weekend or being out training in the evening you know all of those kinds of things that are you know part and parcel of everybody's daily week and it very much connects you to your parish your community then your county and then you know the wider the wider country that there are all these like little local connections and networks and and emotions that are tied into that absolutely and i and and as 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 um as Siobhan pointed out like it, 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 you know, you could. There's lots of ways that you could tell these stories, right? But I think th- there is something about the objects, and I think that point that Siobhan made about the idea that if you saw a shadow of someone in a baseball cap, you'd think of Cody. And I think as well that there are certain objects that, as you say, the minute that you see them, they trigger a sequence of memories or a sequence. And oftentimes those sequence of memories might connect to major historic moments, actually. But they're rooted in, in, in a town, a village, a community, in a county, in county rivalry, you know, and, and everything that goes with that. I mean, you know, Cloda is based down in um, in our in our National Museum of Country Life in Turlock Park in Mayo. And, you know, obviously Mayo has very strong feelings <laughs> in recent years. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I would, you know, be talking with my colleagues down in Mayo and, and, and actually think about, you know, times when they are playing and thinking, right, I need to really now give some positive thoughts to that team down there after the weekend they've had. So it's, you know, it's it's part, it's really part and parcel of what we experience. But what I think is really interesting about GAA, which is different, I think, to a lot of other aspects, is that piece where it's in your home, in your community, in your town, in your county. And then there's that All-Ireland perspective as well. And that's what makes it really really rich actually for us as a, as an organisation as a museum to explore that kind of concept of our collective memory you know I know absolutely my mother's from Mayo and every year and there were times in the in the recent past I thought it was definitely going to be the year there were times I was almost over and you know it's it's you know it's been so heartbreaking but I'm still confident you know uh, that day will come Clodagh what I think is brilliant about the exhibition as well is that it's not just that 140 year history or closer it's it's also going further back and some of the objects from the folk folk life collection uh you know, it's it's going back this through the centuries. It's kind of looking at you know the origins of these sports and how these sports have these historical links going back many many years. Yeah, um, we in the National Museum we have these hurling balls and um, they're made out of um, matted horsehair and or cow hair, and then there's a horsehair covering around them, 
And a few years ago, we realised that they were found in the bogs and we weren't quite sure how old they were. But having got them carbon dated, um, we realised they were going back to the 1100s and the 1600s. So it's kind of pre the, the the leather slitters, they're kind of these hurling balls and Leroji. So um, it's amazing. So we have these the earliest artefacts of our national game really in the National Museum. And also these hurling balls are quite in, incredible and they're very beautiful, um, these horsehair hurt, wrapped hurling balls. Um, but also we have a um, we have a hurling stick that was found by Borden Amona in the Midlands in a bog, in Offaly, Derry's bog, and that was dated as well, and that's 500 years old. So, And it, it wasn't made of ash either, which was quite strange. Um, you know, we kind of, so it was made of alder. And uh, so it's just, um, we have some of these very early objects. Um, and then I just was going to say, I really like the baseball hat as well, because for, as part of the Folklife Collection, we try to collect the normal every day that reflects Irish people and their lives. And, you know, you always want a story, like an object that will tell many stories. So we, the fact that Irish people have been wearing and certainly children have been wearing baseball caps for so long in the country. Um, but but it, certainly it wouldn't have been um, in the 50s and 60s. It was the flat cap, you know, and now everyone wears different types of things, but certainly that baseball cap comes in from with that when we look to America and the American influence. So to have a baseball cap in the collection is important because that actually reflects um, people's, what people are wearing, but also, you know, that is, is the fact that it's Glanbia, like that's interesting as well because it's that move from Creameries, it's the Avonmore, the Waterford kind of story, you know, it's that it's that rural industrialization story, um, and the changes in Ireland. So so yeah, you're you're kind of hitting on a lot of things there. And it's like protection from sun and the fact that we're always constantly these things are different in our times now. So so yeah, I think there's a lot in just one hat and the person who wears the hat and um, the fact that it is Brian Cody, that's of interest as well to us because it has so many stories. There's a story there, but I think it's reflecting still other people's like what they wear during the summer. And and I think it just reflects the time and the good days because a lot of a lot of people just remember where they were for all these matches and you know it's the, the reflecting the sunshine and you know whether you're down in Salt Hill or you're down in you know Limerick you know wherever you get to see your match um you do remember that and it's really important like so um so I think it's just an, a huge like the summer comes and Mayo people just go on these like journeys all over the country to support the team. And, um, and like, I think it's the, it's the train journeys, it's the train tickets, it's all those things that you need to get. And these are the memorabilia that people have that I suppose reflect so many, um, so much that so much of everyone's part of everyone's life, you know? Um, and, I was just interested in the jerseys that people wear, these two-tone jerseys. We haven't got any of them in the, in the collection, but you often see Dublin and Mayo half and half, um, the half and half ones for children of, of Mayo Dublin parents, you know. So um, <laughs> we, we really need to get something like that into our collection.
Brilliant. And Siobhan, was the inspiration for this, that wonderful book you did on the 100 objects and telling the story of the GA through those 100 objects? Yeah, the book absolutely was um, the inspiration for it. And I suppose, but the, the, the book is quite different to the exhibition. Um, there's not 100 objects on display, um, but and, and as time went on, as the exhibition developed, uh, it was more, more and more loosely based on the book. Um, we are we've, we're displaying much more objects from the National Museum's collections than than are in the book, and um, it's not every object on the book in the book that could go on display as well. We have to think about other aspects like conservation, and um, you know whether these objects will. Are, are suitable for display, whether they'll fit in cases, all these um, all these different things that we have to think about. Um, but I was all, when I was writing the book, I always felt that um, there was a real potential with this approach of looking at history through things, through stuff. Um, I always felt that there was potential for the book to go far beyond the pages and um, that it has now through the exhibition, um, which is which I'm really delighted and really thrilled with the response so far from people as we we're just talking about. You know, when people are are looking at at the book and looking at the exhibition, they're always trying to see it through their own personal lens and um, respond to it um, in their own way and. That's a really important part of the exhibition as well, is that we see it as an opportunity for people to be able to share their stories. So we have a section in the exhibition where um, people can write down their stories or they can respond online. And uh, after that, we'll create an archive so that the exhibition and people's personal responses to it and to the subject of the GA um, can go beyond the walls of the exhibition and have its own legacy in its own in our collection. And Siobhan, did you find that you had an item, an object that you were convinced people would, you know, all flock around, but actually it was something else that they unexpectedly uh, were drawn to? Um, Like, I would love to spend all day just observing people in the gallery to see what they're drawn towards and how long they spend at things, but um, it's not, wouldn't be a very good use of my time. (laughs) But, um, like, the exhibition... It has only been open for a very short time, um, but it's very interesting to see what people are drawn towards. One object in particular that seems to be getting a lot of attention is a hurl um, that belonged to Michael Collins. Um, so, you know, he's he's such a, a, a big name and Irish people have such an affiliation towards him um, that, you know... The, the fact that it was owned by him when he was in London. Um, he spent uh, quite a lot of time in London and was involved with the Geraldine's Club as both a player and a secretary. So, you know, we've this object, you know, when you look at it in the case, it doesn't look terribly remarkable. But when you read about it, when we dig deeper, um, we can see that there's lots of stories to tell. So that tells the story of the Irish Revolution um, and of the Irish diaspora of Gaelic games been played overseas. So that's one object that seems to be capturing people's attention in particular. And there is another part of the exhibition, which is our roles of honour. And this is where the design element really comes to the fore. So... A lot of the time when we see roles of honour, they're just really long lists of years, of teams that have won and of captains. So we wanted to do it in a way that was, you know, really visually strong. So Tim McCann designed um, the roles of honour, but it's through the jerseys. 
So the changes in colour um, from club jerseys and the changes from club colours right up to the sponsorship from long sleeve to short sleeves, from pinafores and camogie. Um, to uh, sponsor jerseys and I think in particular the younger generation are really engaging with that particular part of the exhibition mm. which is interesting because that's not an object it's it's a, it's a design as part of the display so it's um, yeah it's interesting to see people responding in different ways to different parts of the exhibition And I wonder were some of those elements like the sponsorship controversial at the time you know I wonder if in every generation people complain and say oh look it's ruined you know they've destroyed the game but it just keeps evolving and it keeps finding you know new audiences and appealing to new generations yeah I think we're we're we probably don't even notice it or, or think too deeply about it now um, seeing sponsors on jerseys um, but I think when it comes to um, individuals individual GA players um, being sponsored there's like a, a bit more pushback because I suppose the GA prides itself on being an amateur organisation that you know it's um, not for not for profit and um, the, it's for the love of the game it's for the passion it's for the parish it's for the team um, so I suppose when you do there is a bit of push, pushback towards that kind of corporate element um, to the GA but it's also necessary if the games want to grow and if the organisation wants to expand so we have to find a balance like if you think I think it was about maybe 2004 um, there were Cork and, and and Wexford players were playing in a semi-final and Paddy Power um, sponsored their hurls so they had a Paddy Power stamp on them and there was absolute outrage over it that um, these players I think they were getting about 700 euro um, for, the, for the hurls um, so that's I suppose part of a very particular moment um, in the GEA um, you're, you're not supposed to have sponsorship on your hurls but uh, they defied that and it sparked a massive conversation over it but um, we've moved on a little bit since We've moved on since then. Okay, well, tonight we are talking history and we're talking about the history of the GA and telling its story through its people, objects and stories. I'm going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll be exploring some of the elements in this multimedia exhibition and talking about what you can find. So stay with us here on News Talk. Welcome back. We're talking history and we're talking about the history of the GA, telling its story through its people and objects in a wonderful new multimedia exhibition in the National Museum of Ireland. I'm rejoined by my panel of experts, Lynn Scarf, the director of the National Museum of Ireland, Dr. Siobhan Doyle, the creator of the exhibition, and Clodagh Doyle, the keeper of the Irish Folklife Division, who's based in Turlock Park in County Mayo. Lynn, first of all, can I ask you, what does it mean to say that this is a multimedia exhibition? Because exhibitions have changed, they've been transformed really in the last 10, 15 years. So what exactly is different? Well, I mean, in the context of this particular exhibition, we just have a lot of archive footage as well as part of the, the the overall piece. I mean, I think, you know, we could spend a long time talking about technology and how it's kind of influencing um, how we produce exhibitions overall in museums. Um, I think one of the interesting elements of that, from my perspective, is, is actually more about what Siobhan was saying earlier on about how we engage and hear stories from people. Um, and that is more about the conversational element of it, right? So how people respond to it, how we actually then engage with their stories and reflections um, as opposed to something that might be saturated in a, in a, in a multimedia uh, context. I think one of the exciting bits within the museum is the power of the object itself irregardless of of the of the media that's going on but we do have some great footage in there um 
In particular, I'm thinking of some news footage of a commo of a family of of girls from Camogie, and I've forgotten their their name. Siobhan. Yeah, they're they're uh, five six sisters. Yeah, and uh, it's it's actually an RT archives piece, and uh, there's six 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 sisters talking about how there was no ladies football in their club, and um, they they had to set up their own, and they train every night, and um, the RT archives piece didn't have any names. Yeah, and um, there was this no. The interesting bit yeah. about how the, how we can kind of engage with our wider audiences. Yeah. yeah, and it was from it was a footage from the women's show presented by Marion Finucane in 1985, and um, the RT archives piece had no mention of their names. So I did a call out on Twitter on social media, and uh, said, "By any chance, does anybody know these these women?" Um, and within five minutes, someone was like, "Yeah, they're the Cullen sisters. They're from Shelmalier County, Wexford." Um, so Which is great, and that's the bit that excites me. As well as how you start to kind of build that capacity within our community in the museum and 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 the audience, so it's it's using it in, in that way. But really, I think the standout work of this exhibition is the objects. And it's a National Museum of Ireland exhibition. It's not a like an official GAA exhibition. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not connected to the GAA museum, but it is it is having all of these wonderful artifacts and objects telling that story. Yes, yeah. I mean, Siobhan has a long connection with the GAA and and we had the director there on the opening night and he spoke really eloquently about it. But it's not an exhibition in the GAA museum. So, you know, I think it is really important the role of our national cultural institutions in terms of exploring those different parts of of our identity and our and 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 different different states, state bodies and different institutions and so on. Um, Lonnie Bunch, who's the Secretary General of the Smithsonian, talks about the idea that museums, national museums, have have a role in legitimising people's experience. Now, that's a very different thing to what we're doing in the G- with the GAA exhibition. But sometimes the National Museum does work that is expressing direct conflict that citizens have with the state. And that's that's interesting because we're also part of the state we're a state body so that I think is a, re- is, a, is a really important space for a national cultural institution to occupy that idea of being somewhere that explores points of tension with the state and yet being part of the state at the same time and how we do that well and that also plays out in the exhibition in one of the videos from our AV. We have um, footage from the 1946 All-Ireland Final um, and at halftime um, primary school teachers which were on strike for many months at the time, they invaded the pitch at halftime with their placards and trying to get Eamon de Valera's attention and um, you know just using the GAA and the, the biggest or one of the biggest days in the GA calendar as that space for that conflict mm-hmm. um, to play out um, is really interesting and you know not not many people may know about that particular part of um, social history um, so hopefully um, you know it's, it's wonderful to have that footage it's black and white there's no sound but um, it tells the story of that particular moment of you know that conflict um, playing out on a GA pitch but not with the players <laughs> Cloda, what I love as well is the fact that there are these deeper historical connections and you only have to look at the iconic, you know, Lee, Ma- Lee McCarthy Cup or the Sam Maguire that, you know, these designs are historical designs. I think one of them based on a wooden object found in County Armagh, you know, a number of centuries ago. 
So I suppose one of the things from living in Mayo um, and being part of the National Museum of Ireland, I always planned that we would, when they won, that we'd get the, <laughs> um, that we get the Arda Chalice down because, <laughs> and um, it would come to the museum branch here. Because I felt if we put Sam McGuire beside the Arda Chalice in Mayo, that would be amazing. But that hasn't happened yet, but I'm still hopeful. And uh, But it, because the Sam McGuire is based on, um, the, it's based on the Arda Chalice. Um, so that's really interesting. And then the Lee McCarthy one is based on a wooden meter. And these would be ancient kind of vessels, four four handled wooden vessels, and they would have been, um, you know, used as ceremonial cups or just just as normal, um, just a kind of a tank, like a tankard, I suppose, you know. But um, I was just thinking about what Lynn was saying in terms of cultural institutions. I think there is something amazing about the GA, first off. I just find that sense of community is incredible. But I was going to come back to that because um, I'm a blow-in into County Mayo and I find that that was really important um, to feel part of community. It's like, um, But I was going to say that we actually... Like that, um, the fact that these sports that we have now being recognised um, as UNESCO intangible cultural heritage, um, um, camogie, like hurling, all of these sports, they're all recognised now as being so important as part of our cultural heritage and and our, these are our cultural property, I suppose, as well. And it's a, it's our intangible heritage, and um, so I I kind of think that's really important that we're we're involved with that, and these um, UNESCO is it, these it, these lists of of really important things, and that's what we are. Um, I was also going to just say about the the music the GA, like I I grew up in Dublin, and but I wasn't really. Like, obviously, as a girl, I didn't play GAA. <laughs> I was young. Uh, when I was younger, it didn't seem to be available in my area. But um, and um, but now I just feel that we moved to Mayo and I have three Mayo children. I have to, like, always apologise for being from Dublin. But um, thankfully, they all play for... Um, they all were part of the community. And Turbicadi is the... Gaeltacht community where I'm living and that's where um, they have wonderful facilities but I really feel that the GAA welcomes people into communities and there's such a sense of belonging and sense of identity. I think it's really, I saw that certainly through COVID as well, you know the GAA was really important in terms of, of, of people getting together and being part of that identity and that kind of bonding together to work for progress to progress things in communities and to help other people, I really think it's really great at integrating new communities and people into in, if they come into the country and you live in the county, you can't not pick up the county jersey and be part of that identity. So I think it's really important for. Irish people and people who've made Ireland their home, I think the GAA still continues to really engage with people and and that sense of pride and place and, um, you know, who you are and where you're from, really. 
So, Siobhan, let's talk about some of the objects. And there's a, 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 a one of the ones that I really loved was the uh, the camogie dress worn by Maeve Gilroy. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely story, and it's an object that I came across when I was um, researching for the book, and it was in a private collection in Loch Eel up at the top of County Antrim. And uh, it's a tweed camogie dress, um, and it's woven by Glens of Antrim Tweed, who are who were a business that opened in the 1950s in the village of Cushendall, which is a camogie and hurling stronghold. And um, I suppose that business itself has a you know a, a story to tell in that it was bombed during the Troubles in the 1970s and eventually went out of business in the 1980s. So um, it. It's made of tweed, a very heavy uh, material. So like uniforms in many other women's sports, it has a history of discomfort with uh, etiquette and covering up um, kind of trumping uh, athleticism. But that's changed now. Um, And I came across it's it's pink, kind of peachy primrose colour, which is what Antrim would wore at the time in the 1960s. Um, but that Antrim team um, were successful. They won an All-Ireland in the 1950s. And in 1967, they stopped the Dublin Camogie team from winning 11 in, the row, 11 in a row. And um, when I came across the dress first, um, there's number four is, is sewn into the back of it. Um, I, I was just telling the story of, you know, a generic um, Antrim Antrim camogie dress and as part of the promotion for the book I appeared on the Late Late Show and had the dress and um, a day later the Gilroy family got in touch with me to say that's our Maeve she wore number four and uh, Maeve is 90 years of age she lives in Belfast so now we have a personal story to tell Um, and Maeve was she was a the family would describe her as the the best player on that team. She went on to become a very highly respected coach and a referee. But um, throughout her career, Maeve kept a scrapbook of all her photographs, all her newspaper cuttings, menus from from team galas and, and uh, banquets and things like that. She was pretty much a hoarder. Um, but museums love people like that. <laughs> um, so the, the Gilroy family um, gave us a loan of the scrapbook um, so that we could use some of the images in the exhibition. So the dress has since been donated by the owner, Bobby McElhatton. So it's now part of the National Collection. So I suppose the story of that dress and, and me um, finding that dress um, you know, it goes from being generic to a personal story, just from people engaging, from people getting in touch. And I suppose the power of of the GAA and, you know, people always wanting to kind of claim their their bit of it. Um, and we're, we're we're really thrilled. It's it's really eye catching part of the display that the mannequin that um, that that has the dress on it, the the photos of Maeve and her sister and her teammates. Um, it's it's a real privilege to be able to bring stories like that to life. And then you really see how designs have changed because I'm sure that tweed it must have been a nightmare to wear if it was raining, uh, and then the the out the uniforms the, oh, so so light today that uh, you get a real sense of how how designs and textiles and everything changed over the decades as well. Completely. I mean, I I think that goes back to the the piece that we were talking about earlier on that in exploring the objects in this exhibition role is also telling a variety of kind of social and cultural and political stories about Ireland. And, you know, as as Siobhan said that, you know, what kind of sports were 
women were wearing on the field has changed drastically in that time. We were also talking ourselves about, well, I would have been a generation that did PE in a gym skirt uh, before tracksuits. And, you know, that, that so, you know, that sort of constantly evolving piece of, well, actually, it turns out that wearing a heavy tweed dress while running around a pitch isn't necessarily going to be to your benefit, as you say. So I think, you know, telling those stories, but also telling the kind of experiences and, and being able to tell being able to tell that personal story through through what they what what they have collected themselves as well with the object is really powerful. Siobhan, there's also a medal that uh, Austin Stack won and uh, people will, some will be familiar with him, went on to become a, a leading figure in the revolutionary movement, anti-treaty, had been a minister before that in the during the War of Independence, but uh, he won, a, he captained a Kerry football team uh, in 1904-5. Yeah, so Austin Stack is a name that's familiar to many of us because there's, there's stadiums named after him in Kerry, there's GA clubs named after him and, um, you know, as you mentioned, he had a he played a, a key role in the Irish Revolution, but he also played a key role in the GA. He was a player. He was secretary of the Kerry County Board, and uh, he went on to um, work for the Munster Council as well. So, um, you know, the the fact that this. Um, famous political figure was also on the ground um, you know playing all these different roles within the GA um, is a really is a really interesting story to tell we have his medal from the 1904 Croke Cup tournament which is I suppose the equivalent of um, the national leagues that we're familiar with today um, so that's on display with along with uh, two other medals all made of um, solid gold yeah, and there's also a gold medal that was made in New York in 1936 that I think was given to uh, the Cavan or the Limerick uh, team that was uh, visiting and that played in Yankee Stadium. And that was, I think, 10 carat gold medal. Yeah, it's from uh, 1936. And um, the GA also has a history of... Um, sending teams primarily to New York and to America to promote the GA but also as fundraisers as well and that kind of still goes on today and I suppose the Irish diaspora has a strong voice within Gaelic games as well you know there's nearly 500 GA clubs all over the world um, on each continent and that's something that I'm noticing um, from you know I've been been doing curators tours um, over the last little while and with visitors from overseas they're you know they're really want to learn about our games and, and the sports but they're really surprised to know that there's um, GA being played in their cities and in their local areas as well so um, that it's, it's really important to represent the Irish diaspora in the display as well. And Clodagh you do get a real sense from the Folklife Collection about just how important it is to preserve these objects that, that represent important parts of the Irish historical experience the Irish story over all of these centuries. Yeah, you really do. Um, I think I think every exhibition that the National Museum does um, and curates, it, and this one particularly is is so important because it just has it, it connects so strongly with people. But we um, we really do have such a, a wonderful collection, and you know the museum. What we have in our collections and what we put out on display. It's usually very, very small amounts go out on display and what we have is a huge reserve collection and that's what the purpose of the museum is. And my role is called 
keeper of the Irish Folklife Collection and like thankfully I'm a hoarder at, by nature but I have to keep we're keeping things for the, the nation so that's what the National Museum is doing we're keeping objects in our collections for research and keeping them for the nation and so that we are reflecting the, our cultural and um, archaeological and historical um, history um, and and that's where we have all these objects and, and we have to keep take care of them and that's where the rest of the museum comes in with managing those collections because there's so much registration and documentation and conservation and all of these other parts of the museum so you know an exhibition comes together and it's it's as a result of lots of, of of our teams working together, and and then you know we we have objects in our collections, and a great system for retrieving them. Thank God. Whenever anyone visits the museum, what you're always seeing is only like one two percent on display. So we are talking history. We're going to take another quick break now. When we come back, we'll be looking at some more of the objects, telling more of the stories of the GA, and finding out more about those links with societies and communities. So we'll be joining you right after this break. Welcome back. We're talking history and we're talking about the history of the GA telling the story of the Gaelic Athletic Association through its people, objects and exhibits that are in this wonderful uh, multimedia exhibition in the National Museum of Ireland at Collins Barracks. I'm rejoined by my panel of experts, Lynn Scarf, the director of the National Museum of Ireland, Dr. Siobhan Doyle, the creator of the exhibition and Clodagh Doyle, the keeper of the Irish Folklife Division who is uh, with the National Museum of Country Life based in Turlock Park in County Mayo. Lynn, can I ask you about how, I suppose, even if you weren't interested in the GA, there would be something for you in this exhibition because it's really as much a social history of Ireland as it is a history of, of sport. Absolutely. So, um, and I think that's the sweet spot in this exhibition is that, it, you know, whether you are part of the GA, whether you play, whether you watch matches, it you know you are aware of its ever presence in your daily life if you're in Ireland because it's such an important part of our of our culture. Um, and so I think going to the exhibition, it brings you into the stories of the people. It links into your own experience. While you may not have been watching a particular All-Ireland final, you you can reflect about that time. There's nobody in Ireland that doesn't know the pain of Mayo. I think all of those elements, there's something there for everybody. But there's also kind of, you know, there's also intriguing things around design. Also, there are some just exquisitely beautiful objects in there. And Siobhan, of course, it's not just connecting with people on the island. It's also with uh, the wider Irish diaspora all around the world. And I think perhaps it's maybe even become easier in recent years to follow all the matches thanks to uh, various things you can get online and various apps and so on that uh, it is a way for people who are who are you know abroad for one reason or the other to stay connected with home absolutely and i know myself from um been away that it's it's the I miss the GA more than I probably miss my family, and I'm, I'm and I, I tell them that's their face as well. <laughs> but it's it's those moments. It's the, it's it's the missing out um, that really gives you the homesickness. And now, yes, there is technology, and there's GA Go, and there's social media, and um, to keep us connected and video calling and all that kind of thing. But as they say themselves, there's nothing beats being there. Um, so, but. 
you know, so not everyone can come home for an all Ireland final or for a county final or whatever. So you just connect in whatever way that you can. And were you ever tempted to include controversial items? And I'm thinking in particular of uh, the Confederate flag, because, you know, not recently, but maybe 10, 20 years ago, you would have seen sometimes at Cork matches as the rebel county, they would have had uh, the battle flag of the Confederacy. Now, they weren't expressing their support for the Confederacy or their support for slavery. It was purely as the rebel county and they would have known her from the Dukes of Hazard and so on. Uh, were you tempted to include anything like that? Um, the simple answer is no, because, you know, if I was to include that, it you know, an object such as that, such a, a, a Confederate flag, that would be at the expense of another object. And, you know, I couldn't justify giving an object like that a platform um, and at, at the expense of something else. But I did always want the book in, in particular to be an uncritical look at the, uh, sorry, a critical look at the GA. So, um you know, I'm a GA person, I play and um, my family are deeply embedded in the GA, but and it, the book and the exhibition are very much a celebration of it. But I didn't want to, you know, cloud over that there's not, you know, that they're doing everything right. So, for example, we have the United for Equality campaign where our female inter-county players um, staged the 2023 championship under protest. It was important to me to include that to show that, yes, we have come a long way. The GA does a lot of things right, but there's still a long way to go. Some women who play don't have um, facilities. The inter-county players don't get um, mileage. They often don't have pitches to play on. So I, I wanted to give that part of the GA a platform as well. Excellent. And even, you know, it reminds some of the objects remind us of the pandemic as well, because there's the yellow slitter from, I think it was the 2020 final. And of course, that had to be uh, behind closed doors because of the pandemic. So even with a visual object like that, it reminds you of, of I suppose, the matches, but it also reminds you of a particular time in, in our lives. Yeah. And again, how much we missed it. Um, you know, the it wasn't the same watching the matches at home and um, in particular um, in the empty stadiums and the ultimate aim was to get everybody back um, but it was it, it, it's we had to represent that in the exhibition as well through the yellow slitter that was used in the 2020 All-Ireland Final the first one behind closed doors it was played in the depths of the December cold and um, that is now in the Folklife collection and it also tells a story that the museum wants to tell and that um, Cloda is working on um, and to expand the collection to tell our story of COVID-19 because you know, in 50 years time, in 100 years time, the people that are in air positions um, will want to know how we engage with that moment. And that's why it's so important for people who are visiting to give their own memories, to tell their own mm-hmm. stories and, and to become part of that, you know, living exhibition in a way and, and contributing to it. And Cloda, it kind of shows how it's important to see the Folklife collection, as you said, as something that's always growing, that you're always adding mm-hmm. to. It's not something that's frozen in time from 50 or 100 years ago. Exactly. I think the collection is really, it's to continue to reflect Irish life. So, when we talk about folk life, it's lives of the ordinary folk, the ordinary people and reflected in their objects. So um, and everything we use now, my biggest problem is we can't collect everything, um, but we have to make sure that we're reflecting what people 
are using every day. So recently, you know, a mobile phone, um, you know, from Nokia phone from 20 years ago, which everyone seemed to have. It's trying to find those common um, items that everyone has. And everyone has a baseball cap in their house. You know, everyone probably has... Um, you know, certain a football jersey of some form or account they've related things that are related. So it's trying to find all the ordinary everyday objects that will tell many stories. And I think this story of women in the GAA, I think, you know, um, a friend of mine, Paul Rouse, he's written so much about women and how they took on the GAA and Michael Cusack and um, and how camogie comes about and you know I think we, things are changing but I do think there's a really great progress I hope that there's going to be more progression in the GAA and I do like what they're doing with um, with other um, other communities that have made Ireland their home and children who whose parents aren't from this country but have made a living here and are working and living here. I think it's great and, you know, um, and even a lot of our Ukrainian refugees and other refugees are playing for, for GAA clubs and I think there's a great sense that there is that but I suppose as Siobhan said, the GAA is, is changing and evolving and it still has more to go, more... It still has a good bit to go, you know. So, um, but yeah, I think um, I think there's there's so many of the ordinary every day, and I, I think when people think of their experience, certainly of the summers, and you know, even as a child, I remember we'd be walking along Salt Hill in Galway, and everyone had the radio on, you know, in the car, listening to the matches and. People will remember the radio, but the, the match, no, nobody's speaking because they're listening to the match on the radio before they even had the TVs. And even now, I just love four or five hours of, like, you know, in the summer, just listening to the radio. I love a long journey when there's matches on, um, no matter where I'm going. Um, it's just like, uh, or who's playing, it's just incredible to listen to. And it's the excitement and, you know, and it's the energy. So, so I think, you know, like, as well as that, it's like people do remember cycling massive distances to get to matches and, you know, even cycling to Crow Park, you know, people did um, so much of that before you could put the bike on the train or before CIE put on special trains just for your county, you know, um, for All-Irelands and other matches. So so I suppose there's so many ordinary everyday memories and and so many people have shared really special moments that matches with people who are no longer with them and that those memories are fantastic for them, you know. So I think there's just something about the GAA and being at matches um, that really connects people and that and really that memory part is so important. And I think what Siobhan's doing, that capturing that folk memory it's it's really amazing to hear those stories because then you can do another exhibition like just about those people, you know, and their stories. And that's what we have on a bicycle exhibition down here. We we had to we collected lots of people's memories of their their early bikes and what they did. And then later on, we developed the the exhibition panels and incorporated all the the ordinary everyday people's memories of their 
their bike, you know. So so it's and, and many people had stories about going to dances, but mainly about going to matches and, and going to Crow Park as well. OK, well, I think that's a wonderful <laughs> note to end our discussion on our uh, review of this wonderful exhibition in the National Museum of Ireland. My thanks to Lynn Scarf, the director of the museum, Dr Siobhan Doyle, the creator of this wonderful exhibition, and also Clodagh Doyle, the keeper of the Irish Folklife Division based at Turlock Park in County Mayo. Well, that does bring us to the end of another edition of Talking History. My thanks to everyone who put tonight's show together, Marisa Sullivan, my producer, and to Peter Malloy on sound. We've got more debate and discussion next week, so hope you can join us then. We've been Talking History. Good night.